Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of EGOs. I have a very special guest today. Her name is Leica Welcome. She is a PhD researcher at the Colorado School of Mines, and she comes actually to the U.S. originally from Trinidad and Tobago. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Rochelle. I am doing well this morning. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm so excited to be a part of this greatness. Cool. Thank you so much for agreeing to meet with me. And um, I'm just really excited to hear more about you and your research and your background. And I'm excited for the, the listeners to have yet another perspective of what it's like to be someone in energy geology. So I already alluded to it. So you're originally from Trinidad and Tobago. Um, could you tell us more about uh, what it was like growing up for you? And while you were growing up, what influenced you the most? Sure. Um, so as you stated, I am from the Twin Island Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. And Trinidad and Tobago can be found in the Caribbean. Um, and so colloquially, you can say I am a Trini girl. Um, and so I grew, I was born there. Um, I grew up there. I did school education in Trinidad, Trinidad being the bigger of the two islands. And then I migrated to the U.S. where I have been working on my skill set, my career, my development, my passion, whatever you want to call it, um, uh, for the past, oh, wow, time's flying, uh, for the past 17 <laughs> years. Um, however, I do get to go home regularly, so Trinidad and Tobago is still very much home to me and still uh -huh. a very much a big part of me because that's where I fell in love with geology before even knowing or knowing what it was formally and that I could do this as a career. And um, I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so Trinidad is located um, at the southernmost point of the Caribbean island chain. And uh, we are, well, our neighbor is Venezuela. I mean, on a clear day, you can stand in South Trinidad and you can see the Venezuelan coastline quite clearly. It's pretty cool, oh, right? Oh, yeah, I didn't realize that it was, I mean, I, I understand it from a geographic context, but I didn't realize that you could actually see it. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, it's super cool um, on a very clear day. Um, and yeah. so from a geological standpoint, when you think about that, you know what's happening down there um, in regards to the Columbus Basin and so forth. Um, so mm -hmm. that'll explain part of our really rich history, legacy, oil and gas. Um, so as a result, in the southern parts of Trinidad, when you drive through the fields of Palo Seco, you will see pumping jacks and other oil field equipment. Um, and yeah. so that's where my love came from. Um, I have to attribute it to my parents and a tradition or Caribbean tradition that our household held up, which was Sunday afternoon family drives. Um, yeah. So what's kind of twofold, my dad, who's a workaholic, I mean, 
he mm-hmm. has to stay working. Um, yeah. Our Sunday drives, I didn't realize till I was like a teenager slash an adult that our Sunday drives were his way of going and checking on the equipment and making <laughs> sure that, you know, people were where they were supposed to be, things were happening because he piles in the car, we're going for ice cream or we're going for a special ice cream day yeah. <laughs> and we'll drive down to the fields. And I was just so fascinated by the squeak squeak of the pumping jacks seeing it moving up and down and believe it or not like the smells I love the smell of oil and gas or you know (laughs) as people joke um the smell of money right um but I really enjoyed it and it just you know my curiosity was piqued and I would just ask these questions it led to my parents my mom specifically buying me this um encyclopedia at the time called tell me why because literally i'd be in the car asking why 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 until yeah. we got back home and <laughs> you know they really fed that passion um it resulted in my living room having a uh, my version using legos and um other household material to build an oil field and i had barbie who what what's Barbie like? Um, Several inches tall, right? I had Barbie standing in this oil field shouting commands that I knew nothing about. (laughs) (laughs) That is so cute. (laughs) And, you know, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And so in the Caribbean, when I was going, when I was attending high school, the closest thing we had to that was geography. Um, And so, you know, I really leaned into my geography classes within the back of my mind, knowing that I wanted to work in oil and gas. I wanted to work in exploration because I wanted to know why we're getting this fluid, how's it formed. I wanted to know everything about it. Um, It even led to me doing a project um, when I was graduating from what we call primary school um, titled Black Gold because I wanted to learn more. So not to date myself, but I'm with my little Encyclopedia Britannica looking up everything. Um, you know, cutting pictures out of books that I should not have been cutting pictures out of. And I had this project titled Black Gold that I was just so proud of. And my mom still has, um, in, you know, on the shelf. So sometimes when I go, she goes, remember when you did this project and you said, this is where you'll be. And so it was super exciting. Um, and so that kind of brought this journey because, Upon graduating high school, I applied to a particular company at home and I got my first rejection letter from them at um, 15 and a half going on 16 and I couldn't understand why, but of course now I do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Because, you know, once I migrated to the U.S., um, I started understanding or learning about the U.S. system. So within my household, my dad was more familiar with the British system of advanced or tertiary level education. And then, you know, being first generational U.S. college student, um, that was a whole different ballgame because then you start learning about internships and um, immigration. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. It is a very different. um, And so that kind of shaped my unconventional pun intended because I love a good joke. I love a good geopun. Um, <laughs> but it shaped my unconventional journey. And, you know, I'm really grateful for it. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing some of those stories. I'm sure other people, I would imagine at least other people that kind of grow up in these 
um, oil-centric regions within the globe, I'm sure have similar stories about the pump jack and the parents being in oil and gas and everything. That's, that's really cool. I like that. Um, so you had mentioned that you had emigrated uh, to the U.S. So did you go to school, college in Trinidad and then you transferred? Or could you tell us more about where you've gone to school, what your degrees are, or uh, maybe a specific story about your career path? Oh, sure. Um, so that was kind of fun um, because even though I was born in Trinidad and Tobago, we spent a lot of time on the East Coast because of um, how my relatives are distributed. Uh -huh. um, and so it was kind of always thought, well, we were on the East Coast and sometime in um, Atlanta. So it's kind of thought that, you know, I'd probably go to school on, um, in Georgia. Or, mm -hmm. However, because I knew I wanted to go into essentially engineering um, slash be aligned with oil and gas. Um, oh it really got me looking outside of the box. And also I wanted that freedom. I wanted to be an adult. I, I, I swore I was an adult um, after high school. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the deal my parents and I made was like, was, um, you know, definitely they're willing to support my decision as long as I have game plan and you know it's great scholarship money and so that led me to looking more along the lines of okay I know I want to be in a particular um, sector where is the best place for that what should I start doing but again I didn't really know a lot about the U.S. system in that regard um, so I kind of based my decision based on best scholarship money um, mm -hmm. and so that brought me to Texas um, so I went I did my undergrad in Wichita Falls, Texas at Midwestern State University. Um, and there I, I got introduced to the idea of um, research and you know using your summers for research. I really enjoyed it being my first transitional program because they had a big Caribbean student population. So even oh, though I was away from home, I felt really supported. Um, and there was familiarity with the transition. And that's why I really started to learn about um, research um, and narrowing down what I wanted to do. And that's where I became a full-fledged geoscientist because I enrolled in a, a geology program for my bachelor's. Yeah. Um, upon graduating, I took a year off um, and I uh, really started looking into the what next steps because I didn't do any internships um, mm -hmm. during my undergrad. Um, and that was something I found out about the importance and the necessity for when I actually went to my master's program at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. And it was yep. there I really learned like what were the, what were the building blocks um, aside from taking your formal courses to help you as you get into our um, sector and, uh -huh. you know, the importance of learning to communicate, learning to network um, and learning to put yourself out there. And so um, I also learned the importance of immigration status and how companies <laughs> <laughs> or what they prefer, especially you know, during volatile times. Yeah. Um, so e initially 
I learned, you know, it wasn't an issue, but as things started to change, it became really important about what additional expenses you present as an employee um, yeah. and the legalities. Um, so that really um, narrowed down my abilities on a professional side as I sorted that aspect out. Um, yeah. But it broadened my abilities as a scientist because of their, with that, um, or during that transitional time, I really got to dip my feet into academia and see what it would be like if I were to go the academic route. Um, yeah. And so I got to spend some time in the classroom. Um, I worked as an adjunct faculty member at the University of Arkansas for two and a half years before I made my way to Houston um, yeah. and got ready for grad school um, because I knew in the back of my mind I wanted to do a PhD. It wasn't um, academic related. It's actually just a personal goal of mine. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of how I positioned and started to line myself up or build my career path, so to say. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've always had this love, this passion, but I've always, I'm always just naturally a curious person. So mm -hmm. I enjoy taking opportunities that come my way um, especially when they are, they come with development or they allow me that sense of development. Um, yeah. And so I had some great um, years at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. I mean, yeah. what a wonderful department. Some of my closest friends are from that department. Some, yeah. um, some geoscientists that I respect immensely. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and That's then it, awesome. I'm so happy to hear that you had like a really positive supportive experience I think it's really important especially nowadays it definitely is um and so it's kind of interesting because you know working on my master's and then going um back to work and then coming back to grad school now as a PhD student um it really puts into perspective how important it is to have the support academically and also socially um, in order to get through some of your more daunting tasks or even to deal with um, failing. Um, so I never really thought about failure until I began, you know, um, my PhD journey uh, because that's been a really humbling lesson. Um, it's... <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're a doctor, Michelle, so I, I don't need to tell you about <laughs> the stories, but um, it's been a humbling journey. I have, I learned so much about myself that I didn't even realize I needed to learn. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Like in certain ways, I feel like the personal development that you go through when you do a PhD is no one really talks about it per se. Like I, I didn't know. Um, but yeah, I had a very similar experience where I am like a very uh, different person in a good way coming out of it. You know, I'm a year out now from when I got it um, than maybe when I, I went into it, even though I started my PhD when I was 30, it, it's just, it, it changes you for sure. Yeah. It really does. Right. Because I thought I was go. So I, I am working on my research at the Colorado school of mines located in golden Colorado. And I thought I was going to become this renowned sedimentologist and stratigrapher. And mm -hmm. I didn't realize that I was going to 
I was going into this to not only get this academic training and development, but also yeah. this social training and development. Because even though my research formally has me looking at fluvial sedimentation in arid continental rift basins and mm-hmm. the resulting architecture and landforms, I can tell you that there's a whole different side of me that's opened up, especially after the events of 2020, mm-hmm. where I'm interested in geology for social justice and the actual accessibility of geology. Yeah. Um, and I mean accessibility on every level, yes. um, especially physically, because it's a side of geology we tend not to think of, right? We yep. regale, and um, I have to preface and use my disclaimer, I love, I love traditional and classic geology. I enjoy and I'm learning, you know, to love field work. But I think sometimes we overlook and we forget to talk about those who are interested in our field, just as passionate about our field, but can't necessarily access, yeah. um, physically yeah. access uh, our field. And so, you know, it's something that's become really at the forefront of my thought. Um, I'm, I am really interested in it. And what does that access look like? What does it mean? And not only from the, ge- the geologist side, but also the, the communities that are in this environment. What does it mean when we're traipsing along, you know, private property to get some of the best outcrops? I mean, we've all kind of had to run or pretend we didn't see the don't trespassing sign, right? Um, yeah. But that really mean and what's the respect that we're showing when we're accessing these areas so that's become something that I'm really interested in um, just exploring the yeah. relationship between geology um, and social justice and community development yeah I hear you on that one one thing I've always been passionate about myself is the socioeconomic side of geology so um, I come from like a a lower middle class blue collar upbringing in Wisconsin in the northern U.S. and both my parents are working class. I'm the first person in my family to get a college degree let alone a PhD and um, for field camp I had to walk down well I think I drove but there's (laughs) like a little community bank down the road and I had to take out a loan in in my own name and my parents were like no we don't you know, we want you to be independent. So we're not going to do a, a cosign or anything. But the, I mean, because I had a good um, work ethic in my town growing up, like I always had a job. I was babysitting when I was 12, you know, working in a retirement home when I was 13. So I had a, a good solid work ethic reputation within my town. So the, the bank gave me a loan for field camp and to buy field gear because I didn't have, I didn't have the money. Like I was working for minimum wage, you know, Oh wow! basically until I went into the oil industry, when I left that area, went into the oil industry. And I think about like people who may also have had that situation, but maybe they don't live in a place that even has a bank, you know, like some, some parts of the world, they don't live in a place that's like economically secure and they're able to just go down to their local bank and, and take out a loan for field camp and stuff like that. So I know my personal convictions kind of lie within like the socioeconomic status. And now, because I live, you know, close to the U.S.-Mexican border, I, it's very much in the forefront of like what I see day to day. 
our people come over here um, with like literally nothing. And then, you know, they tried to do a degree and then, oh my gosh, all of a sudden they love geology, but there's all these like expensive things about it that maybe like an average person isn't aware of and can't afford. And how does that impact, you know, all those biases and those like systemic, like things that they can't have access to, how does that end up impacting what makes it into publications and what makes it to the scientific community? So anyways, that is just my two, my two cents. I'm right there with you. (laughs) No, I mean, it's a great two cents, right? Because I remember in undergrad, um, you're so right. There's so many hidden costs that you don't think about or necessarily know about um, because I came from my formalized education, um, high school education in Trinidad and Tobago, where, you know, the closest thing we had and we talked about was really geography. Um, And so, you know, I studied that as part of my secondary school training. Um, We did like field trips, but we never did like a field camp or it wasn't something I knew about. And then I come to the U.S. and I remember maybe like my second year in someone saying about where are you going to do field camp? And I was like, what's field camp? And yeah. they're like, oh, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and, yeah. You know, I, then I started kind of asking around, looking into it. And then I remember hitting the panic button when I realized what field camp was, not because of it being um, this, I want to say it was a six week or eight week course not because of that but because I was like oh my goodness how am I going to afford field camp um because already I am coming to school um my parents um especially you know my mom was super supportive of me deciding to move to the U.S. um Mm -hmm. and I mean supportive not only emotionally but also financially and so it's like oh my gosh I have to call my parents and tell them that I need this extra 5,000 US dollars. And yeah. if, if you feel for funds and giggles, you want to look up the exchange rate, you would see what that's equivalent to in Trinidad. Uh-huh. Um, it's and then, way different. <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. way different. It's not just $5,000, um, yeah. which by itself, even if it was dollar for dollar, is still a large amount. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I went to field camp. I had to get this money because it's part of your degree. Um, And I'm appreciative of the experience, of course. But like you said, there are people who can't even begin to think about how are they going to afford that. And if you can't take a loan, and at the time, I couldn't take a loan. I had no U.S. credit history. Now, because I am, you know... uh, resident of the United States, that's a different story. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there are people who can't or don't have access to these things. And these are the conversations that we're not having, right? Because Mm -hmm. we talk about science and we talk about geosciences, but we have to talk about the fact that not all science is created equally. There are people in some systematic situations or really high pressure situations that are fighting to put out good work. And then we go, what is really good work? What is the cost? Yes. Of pub- what is the hidden cost of publication? And I mean, yeah. I think that's a conversation yeah. we need to start having a lot more frequently mm-hmm. because along with that, what is the hidden cost of grad school? Um, aside from going in and getting the degree, what does that look like? And the fact that it looks like something different for everyone, because I remember 
hitting my biggest meltdown ever when I had um, my first real disappointment. And I'm using the word disappointment because I'm trying to take the word failure out of my vocabulary. Failure doesn't exist. But, you know, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? This is not who I am. I went from being this person that was, you know, always high performing, great on um, asking questions to being afraid to ask questions, failing at my time management because I'm underestimating how long it's going to take me to do something and not being sure of how to ask for help. And it's not necessarily that, that I don't have systems to ask for help from. It's just knowing what's acceptable at this level because no one really talks about it. Everyone's just kind of like, oh, you're doing a PhD. You must be smart. And I'm like, no, I, it's a journey of discovery and persistence. Um, and that's in my opinion, I am not trying to change anyone's perspective on it. I am not invalidating, but I'm just saying from my opinion and my experience experiences thus far, it's a journey of discovery and persistence and relearning because I am learning and I have been learning that it's okay to maintain your voice. It's mm-hmm. okay to speak out. Um, you have to speak out. You have to advocate for yourself and you have to advocate for those that are less fortunate um, or people who haven't come to that realization that ask for help because it's the only way that you get through. Um, and so this journey has allowed me to incredible Mm-hmm. people incredible women like yourself dr hendrada ali Tree, um, um dr theo like it's just been so overwhelming um in that regard because you have your advisor who's amazing but also has other students so you have to find and i have to say let me preface and say in my case because again everybody has their own individual experiences with yeah. their advisor Um, But aside from your advisors, you have to find people within your field that you can vet things by, that you can get help from because you don't know everything. And there are sometimes much easier or different ways to do things, right? Um, I guess my motto for 2021 finally is work smart, not hard. (laughs) I don't have to do everything. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's so true. And that actually, that leads me to another question just asking you for personal advice so what is there something in particular that you do to help maintain your success and your happiness do you have any tips about self-care or or just anything in general oh my gosh it's so funny that you asked that because I have to be honest for a while I was not I thought I was um but honestly last year last May especially my pressure cooker exploded and if you've ever cooked with a pressure cooker (laughs) um, especially a vintage pressure cooker you know that whistling sound before it pops um (laughs) yeah it wasn't until that pop happened and I found myself just dazed and confused I realized that something had to change yeah. So one of the things that I've been really actively working on, reaching out to my tribe um, and also building a tribe because yeah. 
I realized that I needed a really firm, deeply rooted academic tribe. Um, So, so, you know, I always thought that I was misindependent, but I realized that, especially with my PhD, I am really big on team playing and collaborations. And so that's what... Yeah, I like and, meet it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It holds you not only accountable, but it gives you different perspectives and helps you to streamline your thoughts. Because I mean, I am literally like, oh, what, where, why? Um, I'm that squirrel. And so <laughs> I get so excited um, about any and everything, especially related to geology. Um, but having a tribe and having people who are not afraid to tell you, okay, you need to walk away, you need to realign, you need to streamline, or you're wasting time. It's super important on this journey. Um, yeah. And while everyone's um, time scale looks different or may become different because life really happens. I mean, life has been happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's PhD for me. Um, while everyone's time scale looks different, you do need to hold yourself to some sort of accountability. Otherwise, it, it becomes a costly experience mentally yeah. and financially. Um, yep. So um, I guess one of the things I've definitely been doing is developing my tribe. And two, um, I've been setting really rigorous schedules. So yep. having writing hours or writing blocks. And this actually was birthed from my involvement with Geo Latinas because Geo Latinas. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I learned that from them too. It's so good. I love, I love, love, love what they're doing on so many different levels. Yeah, exactly. I, so I, I, love it. I'm, I'm so thankful for the opportunity um, because between them and their writing blocks and coding blocks, it's really where I learned to schedule my time as in, okay, yeah. you don't have classes this semester or you have a class, one class a semester. What are you doing with your rest of the hours? How are you being accountable? Um, so yeah. I started with their one hour block sessions, which I still actually attend and host one on a Monday. Um, but I developed that into having personal writing blocks with a fellow or with some colleagues who are in PhD programs. And I think that's one of the nice, if you could say there's anything nice out of COVID. Um, <laughs> one of the nice things about COVID is that we're all digital, right? Yeah. Um, so in my writing block, I have these three hour blocks where I'm working with a colleague who's in med school in Arkansas. I'm working with a PhD candidate who's out at UT. I'm working with a friend who's international. And so we have these set times where we're writing and, you know, if someone's gone from their computer too long, it's like, hey, where have you been? Why, why are you texting? You know, stuff like that. Um, just holding yourself accountable. And then on the self-care tip, um, my... I've really gotten into trying to movement in, especially since work from home. Um, so my location in, you know, where I live has become everything, right? The office, the gym, the lab, you know? Um, and so I realized that days were passing or have been passing when I wasn't leaving my house. And then it hit me like, oh man, I'd do that when campus was open, I'd be in the office. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're being productive because sometimes you're in that time warp in front of your computer. So I've started actually actively breaking up 
my days to make sure that I'm getting some fresh air, I'm getting yep. some movement and I'm getting formal exercise. Um, yeah. some, some of my best ideas are coming on the treadmill now. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. That's for sure. <laughs> it, it, it really is. And last but not least, um, so I think as so far I've said, um, making sure I have structured days, um, yep. getting movement in. And last but not least, I, uh, I have been dedicating or giving myself grace. Um, and that's something from, oh, I got into podcasts this summer also, or last summer. And one of my favorite podcasts is by Brene Brown. And so (laughs) I've really gotten into allowing myself grace periods or, um, a 30 minutes of downtime or to refocus myself. Um, because Mm -hmm. one thing I've learned is that we are our harshest critics and we sometimes talk to ourselves the hardest and that is helpful because that's what really grows or fosters that imposter syndrome or that feeling of you're not accomplishing or doing anything and so what I mean by allowing myself grace is that once I start spiraling or thinking or worrying or panicking that I'm not getting anything done. I kind of take 30 minutes and take stock and write on the whiteboard in my living room, what I've accomplished for the week or what did I learn that I didn't know or what do I understand better? And so that's really been helping me to shift my perspective and my focus and just Mm -hmm. kind of bring back that confidence or thought process that I need to move forward. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for having this session and all your great tips and advice. I really enjoyed the time with you and yeah, I wish you the best of luck. We'll have to do a follow-up once you're finished with your PhD. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. <laughs> um, but I would love to do a follow-up. Um, but until then, I am definitely going to keep your different podcasts and your different Thank range you. of guests. Thank you for allowing me this opportunity. Um, this was such a great conversation this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a bonus tip, I think great conversations, especially during everything that's happening and has been happening is something that's been really helpful for all of us. Staying, yeah. staying connected, whatever that looks like is so important. Um, and as always, I enjoy connecting with you. I know we will catch up offline. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so I can't wait for that, but thank you for the opportunity. Of course. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in and we'll catch you on another episode. Bye. Bye everyone.